Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Our guest this week is an old friend back for a return visit. The guy's so busy and spends so much time on the road that it took a worldwide pandemic to rebook him. But here he is. <laughs> He's a writer, playwright, best-selling author, social critic, occasional actor, and voiceover actor, and one of the most popular and admired stand-up comedians of the last half century. As an actor, you've seen him on TV shows like Law & Order, Homicide, Life on the Streets, The Big Bang Theory, and the TV movie Madoff and in films like Hannah and Her Sisters, Unaccompanied Minors, Man of the Year, and of course the voice of anger in Pixar's animated hit Inside Out. How did he ever wind up with that role? He's written three best-selling books, released Grammy-winning comedy albums, and written and starred in numerous stand-up specials, including Black on Broadway, the Emmy-nominated Red, White, and Screwed, Stark Raving Black, In God We Rust, Old Yellow, Live at the Borgata, and Black to the Future. Since 1996, he's appeared in regular segments on the Daily Show's Back in Black segments, ranting about everything from parenting to summer camps to electric scooters. His newest special, Thanks for Risking Your Life, can be seen on October 6th and is available through iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, and wherever comedy is sold. He's also hosting his own podcast, Lewis Black's Rantcast, and uh, available on Apple Podcasts. Now, please welcome back to the show one of the funniest humans alive and the only stand-up comedian louder than yours truly. <laughs> and a man who says each of us is full of shit in our own special way. We are all shitty little snowflakes. <laughs> the hilarious Lewis Black. Lewis, <laughs> uh, was some of that accurate? All of it. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, we can. Uh, I think that's the whole show. 
<laughs> if, 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 if you could do that and then just uh, get some clips of, of me <laughs> from <laughs> each thing. Some clips doing laundry. Yeah, I know, just little clips of stuff. And uh, in between, you know, like, uh, you know, the inside out thing, you know, just a little thing here and there. And uh, we're done. That was in, in, in tremendous narration. Did I pronounce any of the, your credits correctly? You did. <laughs> you did. I thought you would actually, uh, I thought you were going to pass out. The, the fact that you were trying to do it in one breath was really impressive. <laughs> you were doing what I do, which is you kind of, you start, you go, you want, holy fuck. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep talking until I'm not going to stop talking until I get to the end. Where's a comma? How come there's no fucking comma? How come there's no comma in this? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was one of those things where you stop going and go, oh, I have to breathe at some point. How does yeah. this <laughs> I got to thank Lewis for being part, Gilbert, if you remember, of our sixth anniversary show. Lewis was kind enough to make a video yes. Yes. for us. So that was very sweet of you. We appreciate that. And I'm sorry I couldn't here. make it. That's okay. You're always yeah. busy. And you haven't been here in five years. Can you believe that? No, I can't. It's 2015, easy. we did a live show at Caroline's. I can't believe this podcast has been on that long. <laughs> it's been I on just... for six, <laughs> over six. That's Yeah, it is amazing that you turn around now and you go, Really? It was uh, 10 months. It was 150. You know, you kind of go, holy time is completely suspended on all. And then not just because of this fucking pandemic. It's it, it, it is like six years passes now like that. It, I know. No, you know, when I notice uh, how time has passed is when I'll read about a movie or watch a movie on TV and I'll think, oh, this is a movie I saw like uh, two years ago. Yeah. And then I find that it, it came out 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. That hurts. Yeah, yeah the one that, yeah, the, what was it? Uh, I think it was uh, just recently uh, accepted. Uh, I think uh, some, somebody in the dentist's office, which is where my life is, that's the level of excitement my life is now. <laughs> uh, that's where I go to entertain now. Um and so uh, that came out in like 2006, I think, or something. And I was like, it can't possibly have been that long ago. I know. It's just it, uh, unbelievable to me. Yeah. It, Gilbert, Gilbert, our first show was Dick Cavett sitting in your, in your dining room in New yes. York. And, and, and it's seven year, almost seven years ago. And, it and feels he's still like sitting there. He's still there. <laughs> we, we never told him we were leaving. Well, he hasn't finished the story. <laughs> oh, you know, Dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those guests we have on and just go, he'll fill up the time. We can take a nap. <laughs> Before and you know, Lou, we'll, we'll jump around to everything. We want to talk about. We'll talk about the the new special a lot. But I didn't know this about you. I found out that you were a big fan of a show that we talk, a, a movie we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is Doctor Strangelove. I love Doctor Strangelove. Maybe the best black comedy ever made. Yeah. No, I thought the Jeffersons. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Lewis, tell him he can't say that in 2020. I can't. I'm not the one. I'm not the judge. I'm, I can't. <laughs> then people yell at me. 
How come you're telling him? You shouldn't be able to tell him. There are other people who are supposed to tell him. <laughs> we just had Malcolm McDowell on, and we were talking a lot about Kubrick. You look at that movie, and it's, again, talk about old old things. What is that, 1963, 64? Something like that. Timelier than ever. No, it, can, it always works. It's always The scenes are perfect. There isn't a bad scene in that movie. Um, it's the, the war room. Yeah. You know, uh, the, all of the acting. George C. Scott's extraordinary. You know, what's Sterling, his name? Sterling, Sterling Hayden. Hayden. It's Great. Our, Great. Our natural essence, you know, that you got to drink a certain kind of, you know, it was like uh, the, it's the water, the, the fluoridation of the water. Yes. Which when I was a kid. And I don't know, Gilbert, if you're old enough to remember that yes. fluoride in the water was such a big, they made that, oh boy, they, you, you know, they're fluoridating our water. You know what that'll do. It was the first of these fucking conspiracy theories as opposed to the fact that it might help my teeth, which it didn't. <laughs> but, but, you know, but it was like, you know, and then he took it that step further of like, it's, it undermined his virility. It was spectacular. Also a nod to Terry Southern. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you like those character actors the way we do? Slim Pickens, Hayden. Oh, my God. And Scott, of course. He brought Slim Pickens out. You know, I mean, that was just like, and, and, and to put him on the back of a bomb, riding it down. It's just it's just fantastic. Can watch that anytime. And you can watch, Hank and I were talking, our, our mutual friend Hank Gallo, and I said, uh, what does Lewis do on the road to kill all that time? And then I asked you if you watch movies, you said The Godfather is something anywhere, Godfather 1 or 2, anywhere, anytime, you cannot turn it off. Well, I mean, it, it's if I stumble on it and the, you know, whatever scene is on, I go, oh, I remember that scene. And then I just, the next thing I know, 45 minutes have passed. Yeah. Even if, and even if it's got fucking commercials. Yeah, me too. Me too. And you know? I, I think I like Godfather 2 better. You may be right. It's really, uh, it's, you may be right. It's, it's, I'd have to go, well, now I'm going to actually, that gives me something to do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to write that down. That's an activity. It's deeper and richer a little bit. And now let's talk about a really rich topic. Godfather three. (laughs) Well, he's, he's recutting it. Yeah. That was in the news. They what do you are? mean? He's recutting it? Is Coppola, it like a, Coppola, Coppola is recutting it and reissued, and I, I assume reissuing it as a collage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are there Ma- any good scenes in that Ma- movie? Replacing Sophia Coppola with Ruth Buzzy. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> she Some- hits Al Pacino with her purse. <laughs> yeah, that was just you went in and it was like within and you also knew within like eight minutes yeah. that it was a disaster. Yeah. Well what what the great screenwriter William Goldman called whores movies, you know, se- sequels made just for the money. Yeah. Ju- just for the buck. And and to Coppola's credit, he resisted it for decades. But something must have come up. The vineyard needed money. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, or the, uh, or he was packaging spaghetti sauce. And, yeah. And in three, they kept. I, somebody said, I thought it was the best quote. The critic said that lines would pop up in three, like make him an offer he can't refuse and stuff, and where they said it's like sounds like punchlines yeah. in the yeah. movie. Yeah. 
We had Joe Montaigne here a couple of weeks ago, and the and the subject came up, and Gilbert and I were on our best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't easy with that movie. Wow. You have yeah. to be polite to the guests. Especially, you know, he did He's a third one. I, yeah. but, but what I find intriguing is, is I did, I, I, one of the things I told well, him, there'll be a sequel to something like Inside Out. Well, there's uh -huh. not going to be a sequel to Inside Out. So, you know, because I thought, well, there's, you know, boy, that'll be big. Well, no, that's not going to happen. And, I, I, you know, people always say, are they going to do a sequel? Yeah, they'll do it. By the time they do the sequel, they'll be, they'll come to my grave. <laughs> I'll be shooting it at the grave site. And then, and then accepted, which I thought would have a sequel, really would have one. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was right up the, it was that kind of movie and it would seem to fit. But everybody, the, all of the kids that were in it, Blake Lively, Jonah Hill, Justin Long, literally after that movie all had major, oh, major yes. careers. That's true. Well, wait a minute. Has the Pixar, I mean, there was, a, there was a sequel to The Incredibles. There was a sequel to Monsters, Inc. and certainly Toy Story and right. Finding Nemo. <clears throat> so is, is Inside Out a, a sequel out of the question? I think so. Interesting. Uh, part of the problem is, is that I would have to, my character would have to transition. Because uh, what was interesting is is that in in, uh, in the young girl in that movie in that in that animation, uh, it was a mixture of male and female voices, right? Right. Well, right. Right. But right. The the male and the female characters, the parents, just had male characters and female characters in their heads. So the female was just all female. The male was all male. So. For that to, so if she's, and she's just hitting puberty, well, then I would be, you know, basically my character would have to be anger in transition. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we've lost him. Yeah. Yeah. Frank didn't like that. Story. Frank was really upset yeah. by that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think he just can't handle it. Some people, he'd waited his whole life inside out. He was waiting and waiting, and he wanted all he wanted really was to get that scoop. He's sensitive be... about Pixar. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just wanted to get up and get this. Oh wow! Look I bought, that. I bought this down in, uh, down in Disney World. Wow. I said to my wife, well, let's buy this. We'll send it to Lewis. That was three years ago. Well, that's terrific. <laughs> so I could have gotten I could have gotten you that for uh, you know 20% off. I'm holding up a, a, <laughs> a I'm holding up a pin from the Disney parks of Lewis's character Anger. Yeah, they um and everybody always goes, Oh, you must get a lot of money off of the uh, you know, they sell the stuff, you know, they sell all the things, you know, that the stores, you must get a lot of money. You get no money from that. Nothing, huh? No. Nothing. No, Gilbert, you got no Iagos? Uh, uh, no, none. Kick, nothing, huh? Nothing. Wow. wow. No, no. They, what they sell is immortality, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it exactly where they say, oh, isn't that something that you live on forever? Yeah. In that. And I think, well, no, I'd rather the character die and I live on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you you are both part of the Disney of Disney lore yeah. now, both iconic characters. Mm -hmm. Now, Lewis, you have no kids, but do kids? Ha, ha, I have imaginary kids. You have imaginary kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you know they just underestimate my ability to see things. <laughs> Gilbert, you've gotten a lot of mileage uh, uh, over the years with kids. 
oh, out, yes. of, out of Iago, and I want to know if that happens with Lewis. Um, every so often, for a while I did, yeah. and then, uh, uh, but it, it, uh, it, it's funny, I didn't really, it, uh, a lot of it was parents would bring the kids to see me because the kids liked anger, but really it was because the parents really liked me, the, the, the fact that I yelled and screamed and said fuck a lot. <laughs> so, so, so we have something in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there is some irony in the fact that two of the least politically correct comedians in the world voiced lovable children's characters. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's irony writ large. Yeah, no, but it's true because, you know, that's it. We're just presenting really... Uh, it's just, uh, you know, something that we, it's a character, really. Yeah. Like, you know, that we present, uh, you know, because deep down, Gilbert and I are really just soft, cuddly little bunnies. <laughs> the world doesn't know our secret. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. We're like Mr. Rogers, both of us. <laughs> Lou, Lou, that experience, I've heard you say, was the, the first time you've been involved really kind of soup to nuts in an entire creative experience yeah, from, the, was, from the time they reached out to you to the. Yeah, I don't think there's any other experience that you have um, in either film, television or whatever that is like that Pixar experience because of the nature of the fact that, you know, every step of the way, you know, you get to see the whole creative process unfold in front of you so that when I did. Um, I showed up there to, they, they sent me a box of their stuff and then they said mm -hmm. they would see me in like six months and I was out there performing and they came to see me. And 12 animators showed up and drew me while I was doing my act. And then That's they all great. came in and showed me the, their, their versions of me. How cool. It was unbelievable. And then you saw that go to the, to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to the fact that about two thirds of the way or not two thirds, but maybe halfway through it, um, Peter Doctor uh, had to basically say, you know, we've got to um, change this. He said, we, we have to do a, a major rewrite. He finally figured out, and that's extraordinary, because it's one thing, you know, we're, you know, Gilbert and I do an act. You know, it's one thing if you kind of go, oh, boy, you know, my joke isn't working, so you got to rework th three minutes. Uh, it's another thing if you've been, you've got all of this stuff that you've already kind of put down. Yeah. And you got to kind of go back and revamp. And they did it. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Riley, ah! here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh. Airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. And you're acting alone in the booth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with my imaginary children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and also on like during Aladdin, they would have cameras on us to catch our facial expressions and body movement, and then yeah. they'd put it into the character. Did you do were you alone too? Most of the time, yeah. uh, a handful of times I worked with uh, Jafar, 
Jonathan mm-hmm. Freeman, but most of the time myself. Yeah, because we were all, I was by myself. We got a, a quick shout out to our friend Richard Kind, who did wonderful work in that movie. Yeah, he did. As Bing Bong. Really wonderful stuff. Speaking of Aladdin, you guys both worked with the late, great Robin Williams. Yes. Lou, you and I were talking about how underrated Barry Levinson is. Oh, yeah, no. Your, your fellow Marylander. Yeah, no, it was, uh, we did that, uh, Robin and I did Man of the Year, and so I got to work with Barry. Two amazing things about that movie, it was shot in 32 days, which is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. for a film of that, I think, of the the level of quality of the film. And he uh, was dealing with the producers of the film and saying, you're selling this wrong, you're selling it wrong, you're selling it wrong. Um, you're, you're presenting it to the public as kind of a goofy Robin Williams movie. If you look at the advertising, it's, you know, he was in like some sort of a, a revolutionary war outfit. Goofy, yeah. And yeah. it's like, he was going, no, this is, bu-, you know, no. And, uh, and it undermined, I think the, the, uh, the flick and, uh, it was too bad. He was, he was really smart to work with and, uh, you know, uh, and he'd, you know, he'd sit and we'd get, and it was nice because we would go through, it was, I mean, it was really extraordinary because we'd sit there and talk about a scene and how we, you know, he would basically lay it out and you'd sit there and then he'd say, have you got any ideas? And then Robin would have some ideas or Christopher Walken, who was another fucking genius. What, what, what was it like working with him? This is what it was like. The first day I uh, get on the set, and uh, the first shoot that we have uh, is me and Christopher Walken in a scene together. And um, part of it is an improv, a little bit. Uh-huh. And my brain is going the whole time. It's Christopher Walken. It's Christopher Walken. It's Christopher Walken. It's Christopher Walken. It's Christopher fucking Walken. It's, look at it. It's Christopher Walken, you asshole. How did the fuck did you end up working with Christopher Walken? You don't deserve to work with Christopher Walken. <laughs> then, of course, the 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 self-loathing Jew voice comes through. <laughs> you know, you don't get to do this, you piece of shit. Um, and then I kind of realized I can't do that and, and get away. I've got 30 more days with these. I, I'm going to have to get over this. And then it was it was great. It was I just said, all you got to do is Christopher Walken. All you got to do is react. You don't have to do a lot of work. It's Christopher Walken. So whatever he does, you just react to it. And uh, and he and he loves being funny. And he there was we would sit around between takes and between him and Robin. Uh, and Robin would was very, you know, Robin is not on all the time. So Robin would kind of be going, Christopher, tell him that joke. And Christopher Walken would go through his like routine. And there's nothing funnier than Christopher Walken telling a joke. I'll bet. <laughs> He's got a wicked sense of humor. He does. Yeah. It was just great. He did a thing. We would did a scene, and it, uh, we'd walk through this uh, kind of tent, and they were. It was the where the press group was, and he was like the uh, the uh, Robin's campaign manager. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it was really, uh, and I can't remember if it's in the film or not, but they told him the kind of improv. And he goes, it was like the fun, he just goes, you know, my, he turns to me as we're walking along. What we're doing is we're getting a cup of coffee and then we walk together. He goes, you know, I don't think I ever told you, but my father worked for the circus. 
I go, I didn't know that. And he goes, yeah, you know, you know how, uh, you know, what he would do is, is he was the guy, he's the guy who would have to kind of take a rake uh, to the elephant's uh, balls, well, to their pubic hair. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm looking, it's like, holy fuck. And I'm supposed to kind of be, you know, and it's one of these scenes where I'm supposed to basically laugh maybe a little, but, you know, nothing. And I'm, I'm got coffee in my mouth. And it's like I, to hold on to your sanity. And he just made the joke bigger in the, in the elephant and the balls and his father in the circus. You go, holy fuck. <laughs> he's, you know, he's... It's so funny that I don't know how many people I've heard tell stories of, oh, uh, during Aladdin, when Gilbert and Robin got into the sound booth together, that was insanity. And I never ran into him once during the making of that movie. <laughs> it's it's called good press. Yes, <laughs> you did. You did uh, kind of wing it on stage with him a few times. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. He's invited me on stage a couple of. That was fun. Yeah, you know, you want to see uh, ten great minutes of Christopher Walken on film, Lewis uh, Pennies sure. from Heaven. Oh, I haven't seen that in a while. I forgot oh, God. that. Yeah, because he was a hoofer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he was actually up at uh, I went to drama school at uh, at Yale and um, and he, but he, and the only reason I mention that because I don't really like to I keep that a secret um, is um, he uh, he was in the the repertory company up there is when he was really kind of a kid uh, or you know making the transition from being a hoofer to an actor yeah and got he uh, actually got he got. Um, he got robbed there, you know, kind of got roughed up and robbed and yes. stuff. And, yes. uh, and, and smartly said, okay, I'm out. I'm, I'm fucking getting out of here. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was, it was years later when I ran into him. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. On the subject of Robin, you also went to the Middle East famously yeah. with, with Robin. Yeah, which you which, was, which you write about in in your book about Christmas and Black yeah. Christmas. Yeah, that was really something. He was unbelievable with with the truth. No, I've never seen anything quite like that. He was just unbelievable. What were you doing in the Middle East? Well, you know, I brokered two peace treaties. <laughs> uh, you and Jared. I, you know, yeah. um, I was able to, uh, I, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I was finally able to give a proper translation. <laughs> it, it, it turns out it's a, a, a truly great brisket recipe. Thank you, Lewis. <laughs> I'm here all week. Well, we, we did this, yeah, uh, to answer actually Gilbert's question, we did three USO tours, and two of them I did with Robin. Robin brought me along on the first, Robin called and said, do you want to do this? And I'd always kind of wanted to do it, and it was... Uh, it was life changing, and uh, the whole th the it was it, and it was crazy. I mean, it was the most exhausting performance schedule I'd ever been on, and the, it was like you know six countries, you know a, eight shows, wow. you know six countries, seven days, eight shows, stuff like that. Um, but he, we would arrive, you know, you'd be in these, you know, you're kind of like in these. In a, in a helicopter, a chopper, as I like to say, you know, because I can say that now. Uh, but you'd be in this fucking thing and it would be like, blah, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, you do a show and land and 
he, by the time you landed, you know, you were like kind of, you know, you'd flown an hour and a half over what Kathleen Madigan described the areas that we flew over. She said it was like flying over the Bible. That's a good and, line. Uh, it is a great line. We got out and I'm exhausted and he's, he never, he was nonstop. Walks right up to the guys and, you know, starts talking to me. It was the, what he was like there. I felt the best way to describe it is the scene in um, good morning Vietnam when he's leaving. Yeah. I know the scene. And he was exactly like that. I know the scene. And uh, when he talks to the troops, that's exactly the way he was with them. I actually, uh, it really got to me when I, because I hadn't seen the movie. I watched it one night. It was on, and yeah. I, I love that movie. Another I, good Barry Levinson movie. Another good Barry Levinson movie. That's and I right. sat there, and, and that scene came on, and it really touched me because I thought that that describes what he was like with them precisely. And I heard on those stores, you don't know where you're going. They don't tell you where you're going to. No, well, he may not have known. I mean, he he would go to certain places, which, I mean, he would yeah. do, he was much crazy. He would fly in on his own and go to, you know, uh, I forget what they call them, FOBs, you know, these places that were off the beaten track completely. We knew where we were going um, or, you know, because it was, and, and even knowing where you were going, you didn't know where you were going. <laughs> you were in Afghanistan, Kuwait, Iraq. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, you're we're going to... Uh, Kandahar. Well, Kandahar. good luck there. You know, it was, I was in Kandahar twice. You know, you're in a soccer stadium. It's like crazy. It's a nice thing for you guys to have done, and I'm sure they appreciated you. It was it was incredible. It's like Robin says it, it, in an interview he did. It's the you know it's the greatest audience you'll ever have. You come back and you think you go on stage, you know, in a theater. You go, really? That's all you got? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And I still, people will still write, you know, uh, service people will still, you know, come up to me and you kind of go, you know, they're still very much, you know, effusive about us being there. And I'm like, you, you, you people are nuts. You know, it's, you know, it's, I'm the one who, we, we thank you. Don't, you know, I, uh, you know, seriously. There's a lovely Christmas story too, that the book ends with. And I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll make people buy the book yeah. to get the story. But to me, it's what it's, it's what Christmas is about. Yeah. It was beautiful to, to read it. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Do you guys remember meeting for the first time? I'm sure I asked you this when we were at Caroline's. Do you remember seeing each other on stage for the first time? Well, I remember because, uh, but I, I saw him, uh, I would go over to watch Gilbert at, uh, before I was doing comedy, I worked at the West Bank. Sure. And uh, and it was around the corner from the improv, and I didn't really work the improv, but I would go over late sometimes, and because I saw Gilbert there, and he had that shitty last slot. The check slot. He had the check slot. Uh huh. And the the lockup slot, and I would go watch him, and it, 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 you know, and it was like a revelation. I was like, "Holy fuck!" It, that was it was just it was brilliant. Yeah, oh, thank you. It, it, me and well, it was brilliant. And me and the other six people really loved it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here going, "Well, you know, it taught me." You know, to be honest, Gilbert, it helped because you know you kind of go, "This fucking guy's a genius," and they're fucking him, and I'm around the corner, and they're fucking me. So you know, don't you? I shouldn't be getting upset because he's really, you know. He's he's brilliant, 
and nobody's showing up to see him. So what am I whining about? And it was good because it was it was a really good lesson. Yeah, I used to be on stage and they'd be like putting the chairs up. (laughs) (laughs) Back when they used to call you the comics comic. Oh, yes. Yeah. The the, the comic that all the comics would stay late to watch. Yeah. Me. (laughs) (laughs) You you and Bobby Slayton. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gilbert, do you remember seeing Lewis? Uh, yes, uh, right now when he came on camera. <laughs> yeah, he has such a generosity of spirit, Lewis, when it comes to other other comedians and other performers. Uh, oh, here's something. See, with, with Lewis, he actually knows politics. He actually... <laughs> But it's like I find so much what passes for political comedy is, oh, uh, George Bush and Dan Quayle are stupid, and uh, Clinton is horny. And it's like, you know, you could put any joke in there, and it's, it's not like political comedy. You know, I look at your act, Gilbert, and I consider something like your dislike of the Amish. I consider that political. <laughs> could, could that be called political comedy? Uh, yes, because, uh, yeah, that's a very strong group now. <laughs> I mean, it's not political comedy as we think of it. It's not Mark Russell, who, by the way, Lewis recently interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, Mark uh, Russell is one of those guys, he seemed like he was on PBS yeah. every oh, day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he'd I'd be at the piano, you know, do, making up songs about, you know, the Washington rag or something. Yeah. He's really kind of, he's 88 now. And I just did this interview wow. with him. And he, uh, this is what's unbelievable, Gilbert. So I, I said to him, because I watched him as a kid, because uh, he played in Washington. I mean, he's one of these comics who found a space in D.C. Mm-hmm. at a, at a hotel there in a, in a lounge and would play and these, you know, the senators and congressmen would show up and he'd tear them apart, but do it really nicely with the piano while he was, ba- I used to say it was like he was giving him a nice little bit of a confection and in the middle of it was a razor blade. So he, um, he said, um, uh, he, I, I asked him about some, he was talking about somebody, the first Senate hearing he went to, and he talked about this, Hitman that was there. And I said, did you ever do a song about him? And he goes, no, oddly enough, I did it about his girlfriend. Then he tells the story. He's 88 years old. He tells the story about the girlfriend. Then without, I mean, this is not even prompt. I'm just doing an interview. He goes and sings the song, the whole fucking song about the girlfriend. Wow. (laughs) And it's like, it must be 40 years old. I go, how the fuck did you remember that? I don't even know what happened last Thursday, you fuck. <laughs> Guy's a pro. There were so so many great political comedians that we were lucky enough to grow up around. Many who were influences of yours, Dick Gregory, yeah, M- Mark Russell, Tom Lehrer, I think of too. Uh, uh, certainly Mort Saul, the Smothers Brothers, the Smothers Brothers. Yeah, I got yeah. to work with Tommy. That was fun. This is what I wanted to ask you about influences too about Dick Gregory, about people that Gilbert and I talk about on this show, and I read in your book, in one of your books, I think it's in Nothing Sacred, you're talking about The Sullivan Show. Yeah. 
and 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 how transformative that was for you to see not only major comics coming out, but also even the guys like Jackie Vernon and Stanley Myron Handelman, people who are <laughs> largely yeah. forgotten. Yeah, I have. Um, I actually have somebody had given me. Uh, I still got him in my uh, around here somewhere. Jackie Vernon's not an album, but his bits. Yeah. You know, that the poor man, you know, the kind of a trot upon, you know, kind of a version of um, a, a different kind of version in a, in a kind of a, a unique way of uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. You know, a sadder version. God, I just, Vernon just used to make me laugh. And uh, all those guys. He, had, just, he hmm? had that clicker. He'd bring on stage, you know, <laughs> yeah, here yeah. are some slides for my vacation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's Manuel leading us around the quicksand. <laughs> Here we are from the waist up. <laughs> very, very funny guy. Very good. You know, I mean, you know, and I saw, you know, I saw the thing where they said that, and I watched it kind of religiously in part because of those guys. Because of the comic. Yeah. And who you know, else? Shelly Berman? Shelly Berman, uh, Newhart. Yeah. I, I saw Jackie Mason, that whole thing of whether he gave the finger or not. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, and you know, you know, and, and I know that one of Gilbert's favorites was Topo Gigio, the Italian mouse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that for you. Oh, Eddie, I love you. That was so sick. It was twisted. I was like, what is that? And the Marquee Chips. Who remembers the Marquee Chips? Oh, my God, yeah. On the on the Sullivan Show. And but they did come out in Toadie Fields. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Phyllis oh, Diller. Joan, uh, all of them Joan Rivers was on the Sullivan Show a million yeah. times. And the funny thing about shows like the Sullivan Show is it's like it forced you to watch stuff you wouldn't watch. It's yes. like you'd want to watch the comics or a puppet thing, and then they'd bring out an opera singer, and they'd force you to watch it, and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I now I know uh, what a little about that. Yeah. No, that's true. Or, you know, it's or somebody playing jazz. I mean, it was like, I was always, I was always kind of amazed that it never... Uh, that, he, that no one really got back to that type of show again. You know, that it was, because it is kind of the model of, you know, now we live in this three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. Now they've got, you know, I mean, for fuck's sake, they're watching America's Got Talent. You know, I mean, so <laughs> you can't, we, they, they can't seem to put together a show in which you've got, uh, you know, you know, six phenomenal acts in a, in the course of an hour. I, it just always amazed me. It never has worked. Somebody and, should bring it back. And now it's like you're not forced to watch other things. So you go, okay, I want to see comedy. I go to the comedy channel. Yeah. I want to see, uh, you know, this kind of new show. I go to the news channel. News channel, yeah. Yeah. You go, and there is the arts channel and the, the music channel. You know, if you want country music, there's that channel. What was the hardship of us growing up with three channels? Mm-hmm. With with the rabbit ears, as you talk about in, yes. in your in, uh, <laughs> in, in old Yeller. Yes. <laughs> which never worked. No. Well, I found with the rabbit ears, it was a thing of you'd pick it up, walk to the middle of the room, and then step over an inch, and then the 
the picture would get clear. Yeah. And you go, oh, hold it, hold it like that. And then it <laughs> yeah. would be, it would go out right again. You're making me think of that Honeymooners episode, Gil. Oh, yes, <laughs> where he goes out in the hallway. <laughs> goes in the hallway with the, with the, with the rabbit ears. <laughs> Lou, you even talked about how the channel changer would break off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the pliers would come out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the variety. You look back on those Beatles shows on Sullivan. The same night you got the Beatles, you got Mitzi McCall and Charlie Brill. You got Tessie O'Shea. Wow. You got Alan, a, and Rossi. Alan and Rossi. Alan and Rossi. Or I, I got down, I think I was on the second one. Frank Gorshin. You got a scene from Oliver Jesus with, a, with a young Davy Jones from the Monkees. Variety. Wow. Yeah. I think I think Mitzi McCall and uh, Charlie Brill. I think they got bumped <laughs> for the Beatles for, for the Beatles second number, and their careers never recovered. Yes, <laughs> John Biner. Oh wow, John Biner. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we had him on here. Do you think that do you think that that Mason actually gave Sullivan the finger? What's your What's your opinion on that? No, I don't think so. I, I just I, think he, yeah. Do you? No, I saw that, uh, yeah. and uh, he didn't give him the finger. No, because as a kid, I would have gone, "Wow, that's great," you know. And it was yeah. just—it uh, was more like he was just throwing his hand out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he don't was going, bother me. Yeah, he was going, "Oh, this guy's pointing his finger this way. This guy's yeah, pointing yeah. his finger that way." But he never actually gave the middle finger at any yeah. point. No. Do you remember what Biner told us, Gilbert, that he was there? And yes, that he, that yes. he heard Ed Sullivan reaming out Jackie Mason? Yeah, he's going, you motherfucker, you <laughs> son of a bitch. We've got fucking nuns and cup scouts watching this, you fucker. <laughs> I think there were a couple of anti-Semitic things thrown oh, in there yeah. as well. I hope. You fucking Jew. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll send you that Biner clip, Lewis. It's actually fascinating. That's good, too. Uh, an eyewitness point of view to that. Wow. Uh, did you do the Mark Russell interview for the Comedy Center? Yeah, I did it for the National Comedy Center. Tell us a little bit what, about what's going on with that for our listeners that don't know enough about it, and you're on the board. Yeah, no, I, I I was approached about, ooh, I guess, six years ago now. It could be 100. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> At the turn of the century, the no, I was about five or six years ago, Kelly Carlin, you know, George's daughter, oh, approached me and said, uh, there's this place that wants my father's stuff, uh, and um, they, they're building this national comedy center, and the state of New York seems to be putting money into it, and uh, what they seem to be, trying to do is build this kind of interactive, um, you know, state-of-the-art comedy, you know, to this place where it would be, you know, not only stand-up, but uh, film, television, every basically dedicated to the craft of comedy. And she said, you should meet with these people. And they they had approached, they, they so they approached me and uh, I said to her if that my feeling was if they did one half of what they said they were doing, mm -hmm. it was well worth it, especially early on. And uh, and then she decided to give her father's stuff to them. And that basically is was the impetus of this thing being done. And then I started to work trying to raise money for it because I thought I thought it was really important. I thought we needed a place. Yeah. Uh, I thought that it I thought that it, it was it, it was at that 
tipping point. It would basically be if we didn't have it, then then we'd have ba- uh, kids who'd be spending their lives, you know, on Google and Wikipedia or whatever the fuck was next, trying to track comedy. And this was a place that had a real sense of kind of uh, how to how to show the arc of it. And uh, once they got his stuff, they got uh, Shelley Berman's stuff, the Smothers Brothers. The Smothers Brothers stuff was in a uh, was in a fucking trailer. Oh man, that's sad. You know, and they grabbed it and brought it all in there. And so it's I consider it the uh, I call it the um, Library of Congress of comedy, uh, and. I've never seen anything quite like it in terms of like uh, nothing I've ever worked on has worked. That's the bottom line. Uh-huh. Anything that I've thought this will be great has never turned out to be great. And this is truly uh, pretty spectacular. It's a great and, endorsement. Uh, you know, and um, like you can sit there, like a kid can sit there who's got like, you know, if it, uh, who's on first, you can do who's on first. Two people can sit down. Oh, that's fun. And do a version of it. And they basically have, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello, and you, they, you put your head where Abbott's head is and, and, and you do it. And then at the end of the whole thing, they send you a whole bunch of things of what it was you liked and what you were interested in. And uh, uh, it's really, uh, it's, it, it's an exceptional way to spend time. And it's not, at the, you know, and it's in a place that if, uh, it's not, it's not like, oh, this is a billion dollar vacation. It's, it's a, it's a place you can go on a budget and mm-hmm. see and see it. And if if you know, as I keep saying, if you go there, you can go Niagara Falls. You can go there. An hour and a half later, you can be at the Comedy Center. Two hours later, you can be at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I heard somebody. I heard you address that. Somebody said, "Well, it's in it's in kind of a remote place. How do you get people to get to to yeah. go to Jamestown?" But you said some, something intelligent. You said, "Well, whoever thought anybody would go to Cooperstown?" Yeah, exactly. Or Canton. Well, also there used to be, and you know, and if and if they do it, you know, which is you know now because of all this nonsense, but yeah, uh, the, they they built they built this place uh, in what was the old train station. A train used to drive from Buffalo to Cleveland every half hour for twenty four hours a day. Then there's now there's nothing, but if they just even during the summer did it, mm-hmm. it would be huge, um, and. Uh, and right up into that point, people were starting to come in, and it's it's been it's been a, it's been a pleasure to be a part of it, you know. And so I've got to meet people like uh, like um, uh, like Mark, and uh, who had been a, somebody I really loved. And then Tommy and Dickie Smothers came up and did a actually sat on stage and talked for the first time in public in front of people in like ten years. Wow. Wow, Gilbert, we got to get and up there. And you can actually go to a thing. It's the Chautauqua. Chautauqua is a uh, adult educational thing up there, and you could, if you go online, you can probably track down that uh, that the, uh, the the Smothers Brothers working, you know, talking and and discussing their career with uh, with I think Ron Bennington. I think. Mm-hmm. Gilbert, if this shit ever ends, we got to get up there. Yeah, I they did film me over there. Doing something. I think I was already working a club out there, so they uh, filmed me. Yeah, they did. They went to see you. You were in uh, Buffalo. Yes. Well, you know this better than I do. This is so. (laughs) I forgot where the fuck I was working. Yeah. No, I remember that. 
Because I said, if you were a I said, it'll give him something to do during the afternoon. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then they got me uh, lunch afterwards. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> that was another thing. I said, feed him. <laughs> feed him, he'll do anything. <laughs> I'm like a trained chimp. <laughs> now, and this is something Frank brought up before, and I guess we both have... What do you do during the day when you're working someplace? That's horrible. I one thing I do is I take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's in the schedule. <laughs> I've always taken a nap. Even young, I took a nap, like from four to five or something. It's a good time to knock yourself out. Uh, a lot of the times I walk around. If there's a mall, I'll walk around it, um, or I'll walk around the town. If if there's a mall, let's like God step down and put it there. That's like one of those things. Because sometimes right outside the hotel is just like if you go one step out of the hotel, you're on the highway. Yes. No, that's true. Then you don't. Then I just sit there and I weep. Yeah. I, weep. I, I spend the afternoon weeping. Well, you, does the act does the nap help Lewis because your act is physically strenuous? Yes. To get to, to I mean, to get through. Yeah, no, it does help. Yeah. It always has helped. Yeah. You know, uh, and partly because you know I'm up late afterwards because you've been sitting there squeezing your adrenal glands until there's nothing left. Of course. And then all of a sudden it's like you know fuck it's you know two o'clock in the morning and you wake up at nine or eight and nine and it's like God damn it. So, yeah, it does help. Gilbert, I heard a rumor that you have the driver who picks you up at the airport drive you to the local uh, 99-cent store. Is, is, is there any truth to this? I don't know if I've had it in my contract. But... <laughs> Gil, what do you do? What do you, you're, you, you, the driver picks you up. You don't drive. Yeah. L Lewis, you don't really drive anymore either. I don't drive. Being a New Yorker. The no. driver takes you to the hotel, Gilbert. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You're not going up till 8. What the hell do you do with six hours? Uh, horrible. Like, sometimes, like, the next day, you would have to work that night, but you have to be, they'll go, we're picking you up at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. You're doing Captain Jimmy and this morning zoo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then you go back to the hotel and it's like, I find myself riding up and down <laughs> on the elevator. Like wow. I'll go out in the elevator, look around the lobby and go back to my room. <laughs> People wow. are going, is that Gilbert Gottfried? Why is he riding the elevator? Yes. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. He's like, he's auditioning to be the elevator operator. <laughs> you, get back, you get back to the room after the show, and then what happens? Mostly you're, you're still flying, and it's very hard to, 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 settle, to settle down. And, and yeah, then I, just, then, I, then I watch, then I binge watch. You you know, binge that's watch. what I would do. Right. And usually the TV, what they have on TVs, yeah. are horrible. Yeah. And I find out it's right before they're going to pick me up to go perform that two things happen. One, I get extremely tired. And the other thing is there'll be something really good on TV finally. 
Yeah. And that's when I have to leave. <laughs> yeah, that is that the morning zoo stuff. How, yeah. you, you, you guys have probably done like what ten thousand of those between the two of you. Yeah, in in, in twenty five thirty years of of road work, yeah. easily. Uh, since you bring up Kelly, uh, and Kelly's been here on the show. We yeah, love, we love Kelly. Uh, just tell us uh, uh, about George Carlin coming into your life, which I, I assume happened at a pivotal time in your development. Well, it, it it happened at a point that I mean nobody knew knew me, and I there was nothing major going on, and I was just doing clubs, and uh, I had been on maybe a couple of Conans, uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I might have had something on, on Comedy Central, might have. And uh, I got a call from him. I'd come home, and there was on my, when we had message machines, and the, I'll never forget it. I, I think, and I still got it somewhere. Oh, great. Uh, this is, hi, Louis, this is George Carlin. Um, first off, let me say, there's absolutely nothing I can do for you or your career. <laughs> uh, that that being said um i've been uh, I've, I've i've watched you a number of times and I, I really think your work is terrific and you really make me laugh and i just want you to know that if you have anything any tapes or anything if you come up with a cd or something you have a cd whatever um my friends and i like comedy uh i'd love to hear it they'd love to hear it you know send it along to me that would be really great Thanks a lot. Wow. And that was huge. I, and then he started talking about me. I, I remember uh, years ago getting on a plane and I saw where my seat was. And then I look and about three aisles down from me, George Carlin's there. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I but I, I can't I'm not going to go over and bother him. So I sit down and then in the middle of the flight, he gets up, he's looking at me, and he walks straight over to me, and he says, uh, I've got some stuff I have to read and I have to work on, and then I'm going to take a nap, so uh, I can't talk to you. And then, <laughs> So basically, he took the trouble of getting up from <laughs> his seat to tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> but, but you were... You exchanged numbers. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He went up to me at, toward the end of the flight with a little piece of paper where he scribbled his number and he said, uh, "Any next time, pretty much similar, uh, the same thing he said to you. He yeah. said, next time you're going to be appearing on TV, he goes, I want you to call me and tell me because I want to see what's going on in that mind of yours. <laughs> yeah. and, and But I never called him. Never once. I just. Uh, yeah, I understand. Why didn't you call him? I'm, I I know. Yeah. Okay. Because I find what happens with celebrities I've met and then call. It's kind of like you ever meet a girl and she says, oh, oh, here's my number. Here's my number and here's my cell number and my answering service. Call me, call me. And then you call her and she goes, Yeah. And you go, we met at Bob's party. Uh, I remember. <laughs> and, and that's what's happened with me with celebrities that I've been dumb enough to call. Well, yeah. Sometimes, and I also feel sometimes that uh, it's like, um, they, you know, that they're being polite. Yes. 
And I really appreciate their politeness, but I'm sure that they're busy. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Something tells me George would not have received you, Gilbert, like like Lisa from Bob's party. Yeah. That he he was he was generous and especially generous to other performers. There's also the Gary Shandling story. Yeah, he was pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. I've had I remember three numbers I had that I never called. Uh George Carlin, Jonathan Winters, and Norman Fell. Wow. They all gave me their numbers and said, Call and I would have loved to have spoken to them, but I thought, uh oh. What if I And Squeaky Frome was the fourth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, I, I love this quote, uh, uh, this blurb from your first book by, by George. Whoever, whenever I'm asked who makes you laugh or who uh, would you pay to see, I don't hesitate. Lewis Black, period. He's got brains, he's got balls, and he's got chops, and he sees through all the bullshit. Yeah, that's very... I, I, praise from Caesar is a, yeah, is a really. cliche. It, but... it was a life change. But what it was, was is it was it basically... It was another thing, like watching Gilbert. There's certain times in your life you kind of go, um, so you kind of want, you know, I really would like to have an income and I'd like to be known and this would be great and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then George Carlin calls and you go, that's what I want. I don't need anything else. I just won. Wow. And I just won what I, you know, that's what I set out for. You know, I can't get my mother's approval, but George likes me. (laughs) I hope you played the answering machine message for your mom. I did. (laughs) I I absolutely did. But the best was I had, uh, I was going to, I was up for that, uh, you know, the comedy award. And uh, and I told my parents I could take him out there, but they want to come. And my dad, my my dad was like, my, my dad was like, I don't know. I said, and, but I know he liked Carlin. I said, well, they're giving George Carlin a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah? You think I could meet him? I went, yeah. He said, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. He got to meet Carlin. That's nice. It was really great. Yeah. He doesn't get enough credit uh, uh, for the writing, especially late into his career. A, a piece yeah. like Modern Man. And and it was either the last special or the or the next to last special. I I mean the 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 work ethic of the guy. Yeah. You know I I assume as comics it's it's a it's a chore to write new material. Yeah. And this was a guy that what wrote a wrote, almost wrote a new hour every year. Every year. It's 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 imp- beyond impressive. Yeah. No, it's extraordinary. Really extraordinary. Uh, next uh, sometime in October, I lost the date. Uh, by the way, it would be the 95th birthday of Lenny Bruce. Wow. How about that? Another influence. And you wrote yeah. You wrote a, uh, a preface. I wrote a preface to how to talk to any yeah. influence people. Yeah, yeah. And you said that every comic working, every, every comic owes him a debt. Yeah, everyone. You know, he's the one who basically, uh, you know, he's the one who said, you know, don't fuck, you know, I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go to jail for this. You know, they took away his career over it, over language, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, as great as Carlin and the others were, it was, you know, Bruce really kind of took it in the, right in the chops. George, George went to jail, too. Yeah. No, I remember there's that story, uh, you know, the police were constantly breaking in and arresting Lenny Bruce. 
and uh, they were asking other people for their ID or uh, something. And George Carlin was in the audience, and oh yeah, and he he did, he refused, so he was being taken away in the same squad car as Lenny Bruce. And Lenny Bruce said, "What are you doing here?" And he said. Well, the police asked me for such and such, and I said no. And Lonnie Bruce said, "What are you a schmuck?" <laughs> <laughs> two, two things about about the Comedy Museum and the two of them. Yeah, uh, Lenny Bruce used to have a raincoat, an overcoat that he. Uh, the cops told him to uh, have an overcoat with him because uh, they were going to bust him, so he should have the overcoat with him so that when they bust him he could leave the stage mm -hmm. so that overcoat is at the comedy museum wow that's cool which is pretty remarkable the other is is that george one of the george busts uh for language was at uh the uh was in milwaukee at winterfest yes. i believe and um it's on uh you go into this room d dedicated to Carlin and you put the headphones on and you listen to the bus. You, he's on stage. Wow. It's the seven, the seven words you shouldn't say on television. And then you hear the bus. I got to get up there. Yeah. This it's is, really kind of remarkable. Really good stuff to anybody yeah. interested in comedy and, history. And in there, it's like the dirty part of the museum is like in the basement. Yeah. And you get off and there's in big, uh, shiny like neon uh, lights saying you know cocksucker fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's also in like uh, seven different languages yes <laughs> <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast but first a word from our sponsor it's nice to see Lenny Bruce turning up in the culture Again, yeah. on on marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah, and that actor Luke Kirby does a nice a nice job oh, with him. Excellent imitation. Yeah, you know, you asked about my influences. Another big one was the one who wrote the original intro to How to Talk Dirty, which was Paul Krasner. Oh, the late Paul Krasner. Yes. Yeah, who's a, a brilliant son of a and, bitch and the realist. Yeah, yeah. We we came of age at a good time. Yeah, we did. That this, was really unbelievable stuff. for satire. A couple of quick questions from listeners, Lewis, if you got the time. And really, where are you going? Uh, I got a poker game. Oh, you got a poker game. Wow. We'll, do it, we'll do it quick. Uh, no, that's all right. Uh, Javi, I'm saving money. Ha <laughs> Javier Gurola, Gurola, would Lewis and Gil ever consider forming a comedy team called Black and Jew? <laughs> <laughs> Anything there? Yeah. Yeah. And then sure. it could be Black and Jew meet Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> we could do shorts. Yeah. Uh, Joe, uh, one of our listeners just calls himself Joe. Uh, I heard Lewis chant Hebrew blessings from his bar mitzvah. Uh, do not let him go without him doing a little bit of this with Gilbert. No, I'm not chanting a fucking issue. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Can you do the half, your half Torah? What planet are you on? Are you, are you orbiting? Can I do my half Torah? Do you practice it? Can I do my half Torah? <laughs> Uh, 
Lex Passeris, our friend, does Lewis have any memories of doing a pilot for Bruce, uh, for Bruce Paltrow and Tom Fontana and John Tinker? Word of mouth. That's right, with Gladys Knight. With Gladys Knight. Yes. Who brought me into her dressing room. Uh, we had the same agent. And I, I had, uh, and she said, uh, I just wanted you to see this. Because she'd been by my dressing room and she looked, I had some flowers from the agent. And she went, oh, look at those. Those are nice. Come here. She took me down to the dressing room to see what the, what the, what the agency sent her for flowers. It was five times larger, the bouquet. And she couldn't stop laughing. Very nice. It was great. It was a lot of fun. That, that was another one that was way ahead of its time. Speechwriters for the president. Oh, way, wow. way ahead oh. of its time. Oh, wow. I'd love to see that pilot. It was a good pilot. Fontana's way brilliant. Ahead. Fontana's way brilliant. Ahead. I, I did a pilot that was created by Barry Levinson called Toast of Manhattan. And Is that, that right? Yeah. And that was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you told Barry when yes, we had him. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so are people listening to this now? No, 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 no. We'll rec- we record. We, <laughs> we record. <laughs> we, we, we edit it and put it up weeks later. Wow, that but, was really spectacular. Yeah. What's going on with, with your playwriting career? What, is, is One Slight Hitch? Uh, I mean, well, that it, came it, to it, a, it came to a screeching halt with this. It, okay. it, was, it, it gets done a lot at community theaters. A lot. Right. Um, and then uh, one of the things that I was going to do, uh, you know, one of the things I'll see uh, during, since we've got some time off, is I'm going to, uh, I'll either write another book or I'll write a play. And the play that I would write would be my version of Our Town. Wow. Which uh, which I kind of had started. And then the, the book, I'm not, are there two or three books that I would want to work on? I love you, you talking about your early days as a playwright, saying that crack whores make more money than playwrights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was really unbelievable. The uh, the uh, it was it was it was you know I I would like to be able to 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 get a couple more plays out there. You How know, many have you written to date? Like I did write about forty plays. Most of them were not. You know, were things written for a group of people, and mm-hmm. that was it. But uh, what's amazing is I, my one acts came out, and I was, and I thought, well, colleges will do these, and no, nobody's done them. Not even there have been like two productions of the one act. I'd like to see the deal. Because I think I, th- I still think the deal works because I've heard about it. Can I yeah, can I read these plays, Lewis? They're yeah. with Samuel French. They're. Um, uh, I'll send you the name of the. the uh, it's it's another group. It's not Samuel French. It's uh, okay. Yeah, but you. Yeah, I'll send you the. I'll send. I'll send you the name of it. Back in the days when I used to see you at the West Bank Cafe. Yeah. The rest. The, the late great. Well, Rusty the book McGinnis. has the deal is in. Um, I think it's in Me of Little Faith. No, uh, it's in uh, Nothing Sacred. Oh, okay. The, the hardback. Okay. Or the the, the paperback. Actually. Okay. Great. And, and uh, the great thing about the deal is, is it ends with those two guys. This is the, the best thing I ever wrote as a, a writer, as far as I'm concerned. This is these two businessmen are cutting a deal. You never know what they're cutting the deal over. You never know what it's about. You have no idea. They just talk around it. And uh, 
and they're in a an office that's there's so high there's actually no view. The thing ends with the two of them squeezing each other's nuts, screaming, "It's a deal! It's a deal!" Is <laughs> <laughs> one of them like a Warren Buffett type? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it was. Uh, I don't even, you know, like any of those idiots. Right, you right, know. right. Sure. Would you two stay- businessmen? Really, and also you can. Uh, I think Sundance Channel, if you go on, it has a, a version of it that was filmed. We want to shout out your friend Joe Grafasi too. Yeah, who's, he's in it. Yes, who's and who's directed some of your plays. Yeah, and, and who did a movie with uh, Gilbert? Yes, yes, a Bad Medicine. Yes. Another piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had some time in Spain. Yes, that was nice. Yes. Joe's in everything. He's Jimmy the Cheese Man in the Pope of Greenwich Village. Yeah. Joe is in f- fucking everything. And now Deer he plays ju- now he plays judges on uh, that bull and a couple of others, Law and Order. And he says the greatest thing about that is, is he doesn't have to uh, wear any pants. He's very excited. <laughs> He's had a great career. I mean, yeah. you look at his IMDb page, it's very impressive. And he was out with us the night you did the show at Caroline's. We all, is that right? We all went out to dinner. Yeah, great guy. Did yeah, you, he's the best. I'm going to actually see him tomorrow. Please give him our best. We're fans. I will. What was it like working with uh, the great Richard Dreyfus on the on the, uh, on the he Madoff, was fun. On the Madoff miniseries? I enjoyed working with him. I, I worked with him on that, and I did, um, what the fuck was it? Last Laugh. Right. With him. Oh, and, with Chevy. With Chevy Chase. Yeah, and, yeah. And both times, uh, it was a it was a pleasure to work with him. I mean, I really enjoy it. I mean, he's one of those guys. He was like, you yeah. know, and he's, he's another one. His kid wants to be a comic. So he was into that. And, uh, and they, I was working the last laugh and, um, he had to do this scene. He had to do, uh, a long, like a four minute kind of tonight show bit. And he kept trying to make it mean something. You know, he kept trying to put meaning into it. And I was like, and I was in part cast because they knew that I'd, uh, I'd worked with him, that uh, I'd be, that I might be able to get, you know, kind of coach him. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> no, it was, I tried and I tried. I screamed at him. God damn it. Just fucking. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You can make it as meaningful as you want. If you want to say, you can talk about cancer. I don't give a shit. But every time you end the line, smile. Just smile at the end. They love your smile. I know you hate your smile. They love your smile. You got to just do that. And then you can say whatever the fuck you want. And then he did it. And he got like four lines into it. I said, and I went completely, you're not fucking smiling. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys talk civics? He's into, he's into that big time. Yeah. Yeah. But he was good. It was really, uh, it was nice to sit around and, uh, it's one of the him and and Robin and Christopher. I mean, I've been very lucky in terms of the sets that I've sat around on with the people I've been able to talk to. Yeah, great people to work with. Yeah. One last question, uh, Mike Campobasso, Lewis, your mother recently celebrated her 102nd birthday. Yes. Shout out to Jeanette. Thank you. Did how did she influence your sense of humor? Um, she uh, her level of sarcasm is so stunning. Uh, it's so scathing that uh, I discovered that if you could just take it down three notches, you could make a career. You know, it was a matter of just taking it down a little. 
it was really something. She's really, you know, like she said the other day, you know, I'm so glad she really said it. Uh, you know, I've been getting, and it, 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 I've been getting a lot of calls from people and they really like you. And I tell them that's really good because, uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> But what did, it's it's in the new special. What did she say when she blew out her candles? What was it for number one hundred? Number one hundred. Nobody should have to fucking live this long. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what's going on with uh, with thanks for risking your life. Well, that uh, uh, will go out on uh, October sixth, and it'll be on all platforms. I'm not sure if it'll be on Amazon. It'll depend. Um, but uh, it'll eventually be on Amazon. Okay. Um, but it'll hit like every platform in the world. And um, it was shot, not, we didn't, I didn't, when I walked on stage, I didn't know it would be a special. It's the last show that I did before uh, we closed. Uh, it was the last, the very last show I did. Um, and before I went home and locked, went into lockdown. That was um, part of the tour? That was part of the It Gets Better Every Day tour? Yeah. I it was see. the last, the very, very last show. Okay. And it would have been what the special, it would have been the special that I did probably in October or November. Um, and the way it worked was, is that uh, because it, it's not going to work now under these, you know, it's like with what's happened. So it, it was, we had two cameras that we have on a, a, a shoot, you know, we have these two cameras that are essentially running for every show that I do and also kind of works to send the, the rants that I do about the audience. Those, the, the cameras kind of carry those throughout the world. Basically that's how those get out through the world. But also we film, all, every, I, every show I did has been filmed so that they can go through it and tell me now, you know, so years later when they go back through these, anybody, in, they can tell me what a piece of shit I was and I should have said this and instead I said that when I really should have said was this. If I was woke, uh, if I was really woke, but then also the the, the casino had two cameras, so it, uh, I was doing it and um, finished up, and I thought that was pretty good. And Jeff Stilson, who was a really fine comic, who was opening for me, said, "You know, that's a special." I said, "But yeah, but you know, it doesn't have the bells and the whistles, and they're not gonna." He said, "Yeah, but fuck it, you know it." You said you 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 really kind of it was as good as that script. It's it's you 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 hit that script the way you wanted to hit that script. You said it the way you wanted to say it, um, and it came out when I looked at it and I went fuck. You know it's you don't see the audience right because we don't have the lights. We don't have any of that. It's a very intimate uh, special. Yeah, and I don't think anything has been shot like that. It's shot totally by accident. Um, and the guys really did the job uh, of trying to get it, um, you know, so that it really is, as, you know, kind of as good as it can be, uh, which isn't bad. It's a really great dress rehearsal. You know, when I was a child, I would get down on my hands and knees every night and I would pray, please, dear God, when I get older, please let there be two day free shipping. And I think, quite honestly, that I speak for all of us here tonight when I say that our prayers have been answered. 
if two-day free shipping doesn't make you happy, there is something fucking wrong with you. The third time I put in an order and it arrived two days later, whew, I threw away my Xanax prescription. So the whole thing was really a happy accident in a way. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I also think um, uh, it said some things that, uh, oddly enough, uh, ring true. Because, you know, just by, uh, you know, by, by blind luck. And also because we were, you know, coming up to it. But I mean, I'd been working on this stuff. And it kind of was where, you know, we may not have known we were heading into this, but it certainly had some application to it. And as a, as a fellow New Yorker, Gilbert and I have been talking on the show in the last couple of weeks about the about the current state of things in New York, about theater, about movie theaters, about what what's what's going to happen to our our beloved city, in your um, opinion. I think well, uh, well, it'll be uh, a slow bounce back, but mm-hmm. I think we will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, a lot of it will have to do with. Uh, if you if you actually have a federal government, if you get, take all of the rest out of it, oh, it's all crazy. Now. A, yeah, but if you have a federal government that functions the way a federal government should function, um, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. If we don't, we're in trouble. Absolutely. But um, but I do think, and I've said it time and again, uh, and one of the things that has driven me nuts. <laughs> One way or the other was is that uh, when I saw them building Hudson Yards, I did say uh, way before when they were just putting the first bullshit down, mm-hmm. I said, that's that could be the end of New York. You don't build a city inside a city, you fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Uh, last question from a fan, uh, Josh Chambers. Uh, your show in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania at the Rajah Theater, is that the name of it? Could be. Uh, one of the best shows I've ever attended. Uh, will you entertain the idea of doing the Sunshine Boys with Gilbert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we, uh, I would do the Sunshine Boys with Gilbert if we could do it in a bed, uh, lying down. Uh, <laughs> And, were, and the teleprompter was above us on the ceiling, and, and all you saw were our toes. And, and, and they would cut out three quarters of the play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll have Mark Lynn Baker work with Gilbert. <laughs> He'll actually want to do it. So unless Gilbert comes up with somebody who's fucked. <laughs> Another actor we love. Yeah. Uh, any other thing you want to plug, uh, Lewis? You want to plug the 52nd Street Project or, or the Rusty McGee Clinic or any of these wonderful? No, just, uh, you know, um, it just, you know, I think the only, you know, it's the, the 52nd Street Project I work with, which is mentoring. And mm-hmm. uh, basically it's just at this point in time, the thing I would say is just, uh, you know, wherever you can give a little, give a little, and can be whatever your favorite thing is. Yeah. Um, you know, do it. Uh, I do it with CF, and um, 
the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Sure. And, uh, and I did it with uh, the National Comedy Center. And there's certain things that are near and dear to everybody out there. And you don't have to give. The, the other thing that people got to realize, you know, you don't got to give a ton of money. You just give a little. You give whatever you can. And uh, and people do do that. I mean, they're pretty remarkable when it comes to their. They're much, much more so than than people who have a lot of money. Um, folks really are. Uh, have a certain generosity of spirit. And uh, that's one of the reasons I think we'll, we'll survive. And if um, the folks in, you know, the powers that be pay attention to that and realize that that's their responsibility, you know, that they're responsible in terms of, uh, of doing that and, um, and, and, and keep, to keep folks afloat. Uh, you know, my friends, you know, if I don't, if it's a restaurant that's near you, you know, give them some business uh, because uh, like my friend, you know, I'll give a shout out to Steve Olson. Yeah. The West Bank, this, the West Bank cafe. Yeah, Great place. Uh, which is a great place. And he's, you know, is barely keeping it above water and it's, and uh, you know, and it's tough on them, you know, and he's doing the best that he can and, uh, uh, and continues to send out really great food. And if you, if you live in the neighborhood, uh, if you live in the, <clears throat> around Times Square, anywhere within a, a fair, fair, fair amount of, you know, around here, uh, you know, it's well worth the getting a delivery from them or, or yeah. hopping in to eat there. One of the, one of New York's great haunts. Yes. And the first time I saw you live yeah, and you came yep. out on stage and you offered to give a blow job to anyone in the audience who could review a play, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who could promote the, who could promote local theater. Yeah. And I said, and I said, and, and I said, the reason I was offering is because I was working in the theater. So what's another blow job? <laughs> Gilbert, this man has to go play poker. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, well, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and the guest who we can't wait to have back in another ten years. <laughs> uh, Our friend Lewis Black. Lewis, thanks so much for doing this. It was great, guys. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. Brighter than a lucky penny when you're near the rain goes, disappears, dear. And I feel so fine just to know that you are mine. My life is sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. That's how this refrain goes. So come on, join in. Everybody, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is sure to come your way. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows Everything that's wonderful is what I feel